Hey, welcome to Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I am uh, Jim Grant, and uh, to my left, as always, is Eric Whitehead. He's the controls. And at the other end of the uh, telephone line, which stretches all the way to, to Baltimore, Maryland, to North Charles Street in Baltimore, Maryland, is my friend Porter Stansbury. Porter, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a tremendous honor. Well, it is a privilege on, as far as I'm concerned as well. You know, Grant's listeners, you know Porter, even if you don't personally know Porter. For one thing, he is a paid-up subscriber of this publication, and we are paid-up subscribers of some of his, too, so it's like reciprocal, right? So, But beyond that, Porter is, I think, the uh, about the most successful publisher of financial periodicals. Some people do kind of condescendingly call them newsletters, but Porter has built a very wonderful, large-scale business in Baltimore called uh, Stansbury Research. And he started it in 1999. He's the founder and editor of uh, Stansbury's Investment Advisory at Stansbury Research LLC. And he co-edits and edits other publications under that umbrella as well. I guess he's got more than a dozen of these operations cooking at the same time. And anyway, I've, I've been I've been to see him at his, at his place of business. And it is, uh, let me just say, it does not resemble this place, which consists of three or four guys sitting around typing and uh, a couple of people doing purposeful work and circulating. I mean, it's, it's, he has got industrial scale. So Porter again, welcome. Thank you very much. I would like to begin, Porter, by asking you, as someone who does marketing in a scale that uh, has astounded me the more I've come to know about it, how do you see the American public and what it wants to do in money? What do people want to do and what do people think they have to do and what are they afraid of doing? Well, it's a great question, and we do know a little bit about that. One of the things that I, I learned very early on is that surveys don't work very well. People taking surveys tend to tell you what they think you want to hear as opposed to what they really believe. And you find out what they really believe by what they're willing to buy. Ah, yes. We, we, spend, we, we spend about $40 million a year marketing financial periodicals, as you say. Uh, some people call them Yeah, all right. We're not going to stoop to that designation. We're going and uh, we probably, we sell something on the order of 250,000 to 500,000 subscriptions a year. So we, we, have a, we have a pretty good base of knowledge about what people are interested in. And I can describe it to you this year with one word, which is Bitcoin. I've, I've heard of that. But Porter, let, me, let me interrupt. It. I want to set the scene a little bit, Porter. So um, last night, today around 5 o'clock, I got an uh, email from Evan who said, uh, Bitcoin, I think we'd last seen it at $12,000 an ounce. No, per unit, whatever they said. Okay. A pound? What do they sell? Bitcoin per pound? No, per unit. Okay, so Evan says, per, per right? So, so Evan says it was twelve thousand dollars when you left. Now it's fourteen thousand. So ah, that's, that's a nice uh, roundup tick. And then it's fifteen thousand. And I say facetiously, Evan, send me an update at three in the morning. And I've forgotten what time the update did come in. But I've, as we're speaking, I think it is it is seventeen thousand. Now this is going to date this podcast. I, sh- I should have said twenty seven thousand because we have a, have a shot of being timely if it came out late this afternoon. Okay, that that's that sets the scene. So so the word Porter, you said, was Bitcoin. Do tell. So it's been very difficult this year to sell any kind of financial periodical that did not address Bitcoin directly. So everything we have sold this year has had to use Bitcoin in one form or another. So, for example, we've been we were selling newsletters for t- for some time by talking about gold as as better than Bitcoin. Uh, no, I, no, I I wouldn't do that, Porter, if I were you. No. Yeah, I, I know it's yeah. dangerous, but. 
But let me tell you something else that's dangerous, Jim, which is that there's a reason why the magazine cover indicator works. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners know what that is. There, there's, a, there's a paradox in our business, yes. which is that yes. to appeal to people who need our publications, we have to give them the gruel that they're looking for. And then once they get in our door, we have to try to show them gently that what they thought they were interested in is going to bankrupt them. <laughs> and instead, they should be doing something a little bit more sensible. So we, we, we unfortunately, we were forced to use the marketing that works. And this year, that marketing has been Bitcoin. But I hope that you recognize that we are in the camp of people who believe that blockchain technology is extremely important and is going to be here for a very long time and be very important to people, but that the price of Bitcoin makes no sense, that there's no fundamental way to value it, and that this is, of course, a speculative bubble in the midst of growing. and No one knows where it will end, but we do know how it will end, and that's bad. Porter, you've started your business in 1999, which, of course, is a year not unlike this one in some respects. Uh, some of the charts prevalent in 1999 bore uh, or anticipated the uh, purely vertical configuration we see in Bitcoin today. Can you compare and contrast the market environment, or as they say up at Columbia University here in New York City, the zeitgeist prevailing in 1999 with that today, specifically with regard to Bitcoin? Yes, uh, Jim, it's extremely reminiscent. The difference is uh, 20 years ago, I was 25 and not 45. <laughs> And I didn't really have anything to speak of in terms of assets or knowledge or wisdom. So it was much easier for me then to imagine a future where Amazon would put Sears out of business and Adobe would put Kodak out of business. Those are crazy ideas, Porter. It was I know, and they happen to be right. But uh, trust me, it it was uh, it was just dumb luck. So I got my start in financial periodicals by writing about technology. I had grown up using computers. I programmed computers. I had been using the internet since 1991. For for me, I was very a part of all of this, and it made sense to me. And I got paid a lot of money to explain it to folks who were older and richer than I was. <laughs> and 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 I was right in large measure. And I was also smart enough to get off the train when it started to collapse, unlike a lot of my peers and, and most famously, as you know, George Gilder, who got crushed by it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, George Gilder, but, uh, in, just, in justice to George, he is, uh, he, he was, is, and remains uh, one of the shining lights of um, our line of work. He did get... Uh, Oh, I agree. I agree completely. I, I just meant that George decided to buy out his partners yes, yeah. in March of 2000, yeah, which was I know, a, I know. A, a crushing decision. Yes, it was. <laughs> and uh, I was, again, I was just lucky enough not to suffer the, the consequences well, of being well, you, so deeply involved. Well, you, in you know, there's there's a kind of, uh, of sixth sense that successful investors and successful people who work around the financial markets. And I think that one of the defining traits of that success is an appreciation of the paradox of things, as you mentioned in the very first some of the first word you spoke this on this broadcast you know that so let us go back into how you market because you you must you told me and you've shown me Porter that, that it's better to market than not to market now I've absorbed that lesson as a businessman but before that this podcast is brought to you in part by Morty M-O-R-T-Y the newest and smartest way to get a home mortgage so you know that getting a mortgage can be a long confusing harrowing expensive hidden fees strange terms endless calls lawyers yeah lawyers too well now 
now it's easier. So Morty can save you time and money. Here's the way it works. So you enter information into Morty's secure website and you'll immediately see the mortgage options you qualify for with real rates from different lenders. They even show you the hidden fees up front so you can confidently compare options and select the one that's best for you. So if you get stuck, no problem. Morty has best-in-class customer service support. So whether you're a first-time home buyer looking to refinance or buying an investment property, head over to trymorty.com grant to get started today. That's try, D-R-Y-M-O-R-T-Y, trymorty.com grant. Morty Inc. is a licensed mortgage broker, equal housing lender, number 1429243. So tell us how, A, how you make the pitch to people using Bitcoin as a uh, kind of a, a shiny glittering stone on the beach and how you help them perhaps to wean themselves off of Bitcoin once they begin reading your stuff. Take us through some examples. Jim, I'd, I'd really like to, but I got to tell you, and I will, I will tell you exactly how we did it in regards to Bitcoin, but it really comes down to a very simple philosophy that I know that you understand and respect. And it's really very simple. We do the homework that investors should always do on their own. And we give people the information that we know they need, even if they're not experienced enough to know they need it. And so when it came to Bitcoin, the most successful ICO going on in the world is for something called EO. And EOS is a new it's a new design of a, of a blockchain software. The tokens are being sold on a daily basis. They're being auctioned off over the course of a year. And so far, they've raised, I, I think the latest tally is $600 million. And this money is going to be used to develop a blockchain technology that can compete with, among other things, with Facebook. The entrepreneur who is behind this is a, is a young man who lives in Hong Kong. And he is friendly with one of our partners over there, Thomas Churchhouse, who is the son of Peter Churchhouse. Peter Church house for a long time, ran Morgan Stanley's business in Asia. And so what, what we did was very simple. We, we decided that we would explain how blockchain works through the uh, example of EOS. And we, would, we, had, we hosted Tama and his partner, uh, who's behind EOS, at our, for, at our firm here in Baltimore. And we advertised that we were going to explain the basics of cryptocurrencies, explain in detail how the EOS offering works, and offer folks uh, investment advice surrounding which cryptocurrencies to buy and why. And so we did our best to demonstrate our real true expertise in the space, to demonstrate that we have a network of people that know us and know the space very well. And then we worked hard to get the information that we would want if our roles were reversed. And I think that the more you do that in this business, the more successful you yeah. become. The, the dangerous thing is a lot of people are going to knock us off. A lot of people are going to say and claim that they have expertise in this space or any other space. A lot of people are going to claim that they know X, Y, and Z. And, you know, a lot of people are going to put out a lot of bad advice, and you see that as well. And look, the, the history of the newsletter business is replete with people who were little more than con artists, who promised everyone the sun and the moon and the stars, delivered very little. And I don't think you could have done what we did at Stansberry Research if you didn't consistently put your subscribers first. Right. So, so that's really what we do again and again and again. So, for the people who sign up for your publications based upon their interest in Bitcoin, that you, uh, you know, you kind of uh, you let them know that you too are interested and you too have, well, more than that, not, uh, you're not just interested, but you have done the aforementioned work. Okay, so they start reading you and they begin to see that you are not, in fact, as captivated by this idea as perhaps they are. So if I may ask a kind of a, an almost impertinent business question, do these people stick around? Do they cancel? I mean, the, how do you deal with the, the friction between what you think they should be reading and the ideas 
and the opportunities they perhaps ought to be pursuing on the one hand versus their fascination, perhaps uh, their self-destructive fascination with uh, crypto schmipto on the other hand. Well, I think you have to be very honest with them in the marketing materials before they have paid you a pen. So just to explain, you know, the pitch that we made to get people to tune into the webinar was come learn all about crypto for free from people who really know what they're talking about. Thomas Churchhouse has been investing in Bitcoin since 2012, and Brendan Bloomer uh, is running uh, EOS, which is the most successful ICO right. to date. So people wanted to hear from those folks, so they tuned in. And then the pitch that they got was, you know, first of all, we gave them a lot of education. We proved our expertise by giving them two hours worth of information that, that's very useful and that could help them set up their first wallet and open an account at a, a crypto exchange if that's what they wanted to do. And then we, we told them that Tom's approach to investing in cryptos, this is exactly how it works. And of course, what it boils down to, Jim, is that you're, you're not going to put all your eggs in one basket. You're going to diversify and you're not going to put all your money in crypto. And that's what we preach and that's what we fulfill. But they're not surprised by that yeah. once they begin to get the problem. Yeah. So on to the next one, which is uh, this episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air is brought to you by eFinancial Careers, uh, the world's leading financial services career website. Discover uh, career-changing opportunities across the industry from leading brands to niche firms. Why not take the hard work out of job hunting? Register today to let recruiters find you. Create a profile, create alerts, upload your resume and cover letter to apply for jobs quickly. So check out the site at eFinancialCareers.com. That is eFinancialCareers.com. So Porter, in the publications that you yourself oversee, and in some cases, is edit. What's the opportunity set? What do you see that is appealing, that is value-laden in this kind of picked-over marketplace? You do work on, on debt. You do uh, work on distressed debt, of course, equities. You know, what's there to talk about and to pursue? Well, the financial markets, as you know, is just a continuing drama. It's a never-ending soap opera. So there are always firms that are on the rise and always firms that are on the fall. And we do our best to find uh, which one is which. About the uh, the paradox of finance, I, before I get to the current opportunities, I really like the opportunity to tell you one classic example of the paradox of finance, though, because uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin isn't yet as paradoxical as I believe it will become. <laughs> but fear and greed no, never go out of style. And I'm sure you recall in the fall of 2015, there was a tremendous uh, sudden increase in fear in the fixed income markets, particularly in, in low-quality corporate debt. And the spread between junk bonds and investment-grade stuff went to, to you know, 10 percentage points or 1,000 basis points. Do, do you remember that? Yeah, that, I think perhaps, uh, brief perhaps, time perhaps, perhaps January, January 2016 more so than the fall of 15. Yes, but it started in the fall. Right. Correct. So I said the fall because I started writing about how this was going to happen in uh, October or November. I was expecting a correction in fixed income markets because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, remember when uh, Third Avenue Value had to stop oh, redemptions yes. from their funds? Yep. So there were all kinds of signs of trouble brewing. And so we sent out messages to thousands and thousands of people saying there's going to be a huge crisis in corporate fixed income, and we can show you how to make a lot of money on it. When they signed up and they joined us on the webinar and they begin to get our marketing materials, what they learned, much to their surprise, was that our idea was that when the spread begins to widen, you should buy fixed income because, at, at the, as you know, there's no such thing as a bad bond. There's only a bad price. And so we wanted to use the correction in the fixed income markets to buy lots of bonds that we believe will be money good when they were ha when they had a yield to maturity of 12 or 14 or 16 or 18 percent. And so the people responded or advertising thinking that we were predicting the end of the world when, in fact, what we were really doing was trying to position them to make good money in fixed income. And happily, it worked out. So that was the situation where we were right and where the subscribers sort of almost in spite of themselves have got a terrific benefit out of it. We've actually taught lots of individual investors 
how to buy individual corporate bonds successfully. And so I'm really proud of that example. And that's how we use the paradox of finance. I, I really haven't been able to find a way to do that in Bitcoin yet because there's there's just there's not enough of a market, there's not enough of a history there to, to, to figure out how to play it in a contrarian way smartly. I don't think you can short Bitcoin today, and I don't think that you should because uh, its rise is just too hyperbolic. So I, I hope that is a, a better description of, of, of of what we try to do for our subscribers. Yeah, very good indeed. So what are you doing for your subscribers next, Porter? Well, you know, Jim, there are a tremendous number of dead-in-the-water corporations that are that have way too much money in debt. One example of a company we've been shorting is Sprint, and we weren't scared off by the rumors that it was going to merge with Dutch Telecom because we didn't think anyone wanted a $31 billion pile of debt that hadn't made any cash flow in over 10 years. We were right. So we're looking for companies where the artificially low interest rates have led corporate management teams to, a pot, to just pile up huge mountains right. of debt that may be attractive because of their low interest rate, but really can have no hope of ever being repaid because of the, the resulting overcapacity in their in their markets. So when Verizon offers unlimited data for $30 a month, how does Sprint compete? And the answer is they, they can't. And there's lots of that kind of overcapacity that exists after a tremendous 10-year uh, rally in corporate credit. Yes, indeed, Jeff. So we're looking for over yeah. we're looking for situations like that where there is no there's no competitive differences, there's there's no sustainable advantage and there's tremendous overcapacity on the short side. And on the long side, we're looking for companies that simply are able to do simple things a lot better. So there's a lot of this going around right now. Grocery stores that have figured out how to do delivery well. Companies like, like Grubhub that are figured out how to bring restaurants to you. There's a lot of companies that are able to use these kinds of technologies well and that are growing their business. Or if I hear you correctly. Sorry, one last thing. And then the final thing is we really specialize in what we call capital efficient companies. And this won't surprise you at all, Jim. You know finance very well. But companies like McDonald's, I mean, people think that McDonald's is a restaurant business and it's not. You know, McDonald's is a real estate and royalty business and it is an incredibly great business. And so we, we try to get people to invest in these kinds of companies like Hershey's, like McDonald's that are going to that are gonna survive and thrive in virtually any macro environment. So, Porter, if I understand you correctly, what you're doing at Stansbury Research is looking for overpriced securities that should go down and undervalued securities that should go up. Is that it? No, I would tell you, I would tell you surprisingly that we don't, we don't pay as much attention to price as other people do. We have just found that most bad businesses that are failing are going to have a low price yeah, from right, the start. Right. It's a Garpy guy. And most quality and most quality businesses that are growing and that are going to produce a lot of wealth are fairly valued from the beginning. So, you know, we bought McDonald's at 10 times its free cash flow. And if you look over the history of the company, 40, 60 years as a publicly traded stock, you're going to find that's where it trades most often at. So we didn't buy McDonald's when it was a bargain, but we bought McDonald's when it was at a fair price, and we've done very yeah, well. Yeah, it sounds uh, sound, is what it sounds. So, um, Porter, it has been a privilege and a delight. Great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. And I look forward to seeing you, uh, I don't know, maybe come to the next Grant's Conference. Porter is a, is a regular at the Grant's Conference, which, uh, which tones the joint up considerably. So, Porter, until the next time, thank you once more. Jim, you're welcome. I will, of course, be in the front row as usual at your next conference. And I admire you and your business tremendously. And again, thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us, Porter. So long.